Hello, Girl Boss. This is your host, Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girl Boss. We have a great guest today. She's model, actress, and entrepreneur, Rosie Huntington Whiteley. But before we get to that, I want to tell you all about the Girl Boss Rally. The Girl Boss Rally is heading back to New York this fall, actually, gosh, in just about a month, November 17th and 18th. And this year, yeah, it's bigger. You heard that. It's two days. And at the last Girl Boss Rally, we had women from 19 countries, 230 cities, and 36 states attend. So it really is a Noah's Ark of ambitious women. You can come by to shop, attend a full day. There's different ticket tiers for whatever your budget from $30 and up. So go to girlbossrally.com to learn more. And if you want to join our future and learn more about our future, well, our future is called something like the Girl Boss Collective. And you can sign up for early access to the Girl Boss Collective at collective.girlboss.com. And also remember, if you like what you hear on today's show, go ahead and rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend. We'll get to our chat with Rosie in just a second, but first I want to tell you about the Barney's Podcast. Get excited! The Barney's Podcast is coming back for season two. The show celebrates fashion, style, culture, and most of all, personality. It features conversations with some of the most creative people in fashion discussing why they do what they do and how they got there. And... They have a brand new host and journalist and former Glamour Editor-in-Chief, Cindy Levy, with guests like fashion icon Tom Brown, singer Kelly Rowland, and designer Alexander Wang. So there's a lot to talk about. Don't miss the first episode where fashion icon Tom Brown talks about his signature shrunken suit, the value of routine, dressing LeBron James, and staying true to his vision along the way. Check out this episode and more by subscribing to The Barney's Podcast, wherever good podcasts are found. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Rosie Huntington Whiteley is a supermodel, designer, actress, and businesswoman. She plays a pivotal role in defining the ongoing evolution of the fashion industry. Rosie has graced the cover of over 100 international magazines and worked with brands such as Versace, Burberry, Jimmy Choo, Ralph Lauren, and Victoria's Secret. At the time when I was, you know, working with Victoria's Secret and it was for about five years, it was just so fun. It was, you know, I was so young and it was you know, the biggest gig you could get as a model, really. And I was always a commercial model. So I was always doing a lot of catalog and commercial type of work. It was never really considered high fashion or editorial. And so as a commercial model to get Victoria's Secret was, it was the holy grail. Her latest brand collaboration is with Bare Minerals, and they are actually doing a masterclass together here in LA. And they just announced Rosie as one of their new beauty ambassadors for their Power of Good campaign. Rosie has been on the Forbes highest paid models list two years in a row. She's also been awarded Glamour UK's Women of the Year Award, Harper Bazaar UK Business Woman of the Year, and holds two LUK Style Awards. Earlier this year, Rosie founded Rose Inc., a daily editorial destination for all things beauty. 
beauty. The website features original photography, insight from top beauty experts, makeup tutorials, and interviews. Everything on the site is tried, tested, and approved by Rosie herself. I basically, you know, was seeing as well when I was sharing things on social media, the response I was getting from sharing something that was informational to my audience. And I wanted to build that out to be more substantial and really build out something that was digital and really inclusive and a community and, you know, of avid beauty lovers like myself and beauty junkies where we could just talk beauty and talk about, you know, all the things that we're loving and, you know, just making something creative and fun and and inspiring. Today, Rosie's here to talk about how she pivoted from being a supermodel to, yes, still a supermodel, but also an entrepreneur and all the learnings she's had from decades in the fashion industry. And also, she's a new mom. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be a working mom while starting a company. So now let's get to it. Here's my chat with Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. So there's something I like to ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio. Yeah. And it's, you know, what is your first job? Because we all have a, a first job and people look at someone like you and they think, oh my gosh, she was always a model. <laughs> <laughs> my first job was I worked um, in a little bed and breakfast about five minutes down the lane from where I grew up. And I say lane because I really grew up in a very, very rural part of the UK, um, Devon and... Uh, it's basically farmland and villages, and then there was a local town. So I worked in the bed and breakfast, um, yeah, four or five minutes down the lane. My dad would drop me down there, and I was a, what was, <laughs> it sounds kind of kinky, but I was a chambermaid. That's what my boss called me, but basically it's housekeeping. Wow. I was housekeeper, and I um, would go in on the weekends, and I would do the changeover. So I would go in, you know, tidy the rooms change over the rooms for the next guests serve breakfast and cleaning it was cleaning serving breakfast and uh yeah it was that was my first job and I actually I have always loved working so and I love I've always loved making my own money so I really I did enjoy that and then I was a waitress as most people are at some point yeah how old were you when you were doing this 14 Wow. Yeah. That's young. Yeah. Well, it's kind of normal, I think, in the UK. I'm sure it is here, too, to get a weekend job at that age. And, like, you know, my parents were really, you know, they were tight with with pocket money. We didn't really get any. I would get, I think, by the time I was 14, I was my parents would give me about £10 a month or 8 or £10 a month. And I was expected to buy all my feminine hygiene products, my clothes, makeup, all this sort of the kind of things that you that you kind of are buying at that age and you know my parents we would we would really get a sort of new outfit or a new pair of shoes on birthday or Christmas there was no kind of treating us throughout the year and so that money was for me to kind of that was my little disposable income yeah what did you you know is there when you look at your career today and your work or the the, the arc of your career were there any things that you learned in that first job as a chambermaid ah. that helped you over the course of your career you know, I think it was dealing a lot probably with with guests at the ho- at the bed and breakfast and I think that, you know, I guess just having really great presence and attitude with people that you're working around, you know, I think that that's something that I've always tried to do and not even really tried that's something I feel like comes naturally, but I think when you're in a 
people job or you're working in a team like that you just you can't thrive unless you're you get along with people that you're that you're working with so Rosie opened up about her first big break as a model okay so I was 16 when I started modeling and what um how it all started for me was that I'd always really from as young as I can sort of remember so probably 13 14 that kind of age and probably even younger, just always loved fashion, like always loved fashion, always loved beauty, always loved, you know, anything that kind of had a performance or, you know, I'd love to go to the theater, I'd like to go to pantomimes, I'd like to see things that were happening on stage. And, and I would uh, always ask for subscriptions to my favorite magazines growing up. And so that was really how I saw the industry. And at 14 at school, we were um, encouraged basically during, I think, one of our school holidays to go and get a week of work experience. Everybody was expected to do a week of work experience in a field of interest to them. And so a lot of people went off and they went and worked in the local hairdressers or they went and worked to the local mechanics or the local law firm or, you know, and I wanted to work in fashion. And of course, growing up where I did and growing up with parents who really had no no contacts to the fashion industry. And it was certainly a time, I think, back then, 15, 16 years ago, where if if you didn't have a foot in the door already to this kind of very shrouded industry of fashion, there was no way you were getting in. So I, I took out the yellow pages and I think we just got on the internet at home and I looked up, you know, these sort of high street brands that I knew of as companies, fashion brands. I looked up different PR companies, anything that I could think of that had sort of some type of fashion magazines. And I wrote off to a couple of modeling agencies as well. That was that was how I sort of thought, well, that'll get my foot in the door to the industry in some capacity. Um, so I must have written, handwritten, like at the time, handwrite letters, 20 letters, put them in the post box myself. And then, you know, it was about waiting and really didn't think anyone would reply. And a few days later, I came home from school and my mum said, oh, this agency called and they would love to have you go up and work, work experience. I was thrilled. I was like, this is, and you know, growing up, I was five hours from London. Going to London was a big, big deal, like a big deal. And so I was like, I'm going to go up to the city. And that was all I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to leave home and go to London as soon as I could. And, um, I did, uh, a week's work experience up in, in this tiny little modeling agency in Soho called Profile. And, you know, my, I'd kind of thought, I guess, that I would be out on photo shoots and I would be seeing what went into making these beautiful images in these fashion magazines I'd poured over my whole childhood. And of course, you're not. It's uh, Anyone knows. And I quickly learned that a modeling agency is essentially a desk with a bunch of bookers sat around it on the phone all day. But still, I loved it. I was making coffee, emptying ashtrays, pouring wine, <laughs> doing faxes, running out to go do photocopies. And I'd see these like glamazon models walking into the agency. And I was just st so starstruck by the whole thing. And and that was it. I did the work experience the week and wrapped it up and then uh, went off, finished my exams um, that uh, sort of spring, summer. And then during that my summer holidays that year, I went up to London. My uncle lived in London and I was going to go stay with him for a week and just be in London. And my mom, who's given me a few pieces of shrewd advice over the years, said to me, darling, you better go into the modeling agency and you better say hello because it's not what you know in fashion, it's who you know. And if you want to have a future in this industry, <laughs> you really should, uh, you should keep your contacts. And so I was sort of like, oh, you know, my mom's quite, 
she's quite pushy in in the sense that she was always very strict with manners. She was very, very strict with manners, thank you letters, anything like that, staying in contact with people. And I was, you know, that teenager, like, oh, I don't want to be like going in and, you know, I just want to go around London. And and so she kept nagging me about it. And eventually I went in and said hello to all of the the people that I'd worked with that week. And And this new young booker came over to me and she said, you know, would you mind if I took a couple of Polaroids of you? I think... You're, you're kind of cute and I, I think you know you need to grow back your eyebrows and <laughs> you, we need to do something about your style and and things but let me take a couple of Polaroids and let's let me have a look so she she took some Polaroids because at the time that was that was what you know now they're called digis the agencies mm-hmm. and she came back a little bit later on she said how would you feel if I sent you out on some castings this week um and I said, sure, great. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I could just get on a photo shoot, that would be my dream. I just want to see what goes in to making these images. And I really had thought, I'd, my plan was to kind of leave school and go to London College of Fashion and study perhaps design or styling or makeup. I really didn't know what professions there were in the industry because there was no information about it other than these sort of beautiful glossy images there was no behind the scenes videos like we get now there was no kind of festivals that these magazines are now hosting or information or podcasts or anything where you really understand what goes on in the industry and what what jobs are available but I knew I wanted to be in the creative side of things and very quickly I was on my first shoot and then very quickly I was traveling to Paris and I was I started working I started making a bit of money I went back to school to finish um the last two years of of school high school and um I I was then working and at school and it all by the end of that first year I kind of had a bit of a breakdown and I said to my mum and I can't do both I'm really struggling because I was traveling up on the train at least once or twice a week to go do a shoot and then coming back down and trying to do my coursework and she just said to me, you know, it's it's really up to you. The decision is yours. You're an adult now. Um, and we we support you whatever you want to do. If you want to go full time or you want to go back to school and, and go back to modeling later, it's up to you. And then she just looked at me and she said, you know, all I can say is that things are going really well for you right now and this opportunity might not be there if you if you turn it if you turn it down today it might not be the pace and the the trajectory that you're on might not be there when you when you come back to it later on and that I think was her way of basically saying go darling go spread your wings and mm-hmm. and go and have a go and have a great time and really make the best of this and I think that conversation to me is so prevalent now in my career and I feel that she really gave me the freedom to go and it's what I think drives me through every time is that I left school. I left school early. I didn't leave with proper qualifications. And it makes me want to strive forward in my career and keep building because, A, I have nothing else to fall back on. <laughs> I know, exactly. And B, she gave me that blessing. It's a really, I think it was a, you know, that was that was really wonderful. I can't imagine letting you know, being a mum now, letting my child go so young off into the big world. So, yeah. Would you as a parent uh, allow your child to go out into the modeling industry at 16, 15? You know, it's funny because I think I would, it would not be the first career choice I would want for my son. 
I think male modeling is a tough game. I think uh, modeling in as an industry, it's one of the only industries in, in the world where a woman makes more money than a man and has more success and more opportunity. Um, and I've seen and met a lot of male models and the percentage of successful ones is really, really small in comparison to, to successful female models. And so it wouldn't be my first choice for him. But I also think and would hope that I would be open to, you know, letting him achieve his dreams in the same way that my parents were. But, you know, I think that, yeah, it, it definitely wouldn't be my my first choice for, for, for him as a male. Yeah. I, I experienced this because... I I did graduate high school, but I got like a paper in the mail. Like I yeah. wasn't really around. I didn't go to college, but I've still figured out how to have a career. You yeah. Know? You've had an amazing career. Are there moments in your career where you stop and say, oh, I really, if I had gone to college, I'd be better at this. Or yeah. I feel terrified walking into this room or speaking in front of these people because they're so much more educated mm -hmm. than I am. That's something you experience? Nearly every day. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's really funny that I do feel that a lot. And now, you know, in the last sort of five to seven years, really kind of pivoting my career more into business and building out, you know, businesses and brands for myself and it becoming more and more real since the launch of Rose Inc., I do really feel sometimes I'm in these rooms with much more educated women and men and, you know, more experience and a different background from, from mine. And I sort of second guess myself a lot. And it, it is an interesting one because although I don't have that business background or that business degree and I would really ha have liked to, to, would love to have that. And if I could live several lives at once, <laughs> I would be studying something of that nature. But I think. What amazes me and what I think you'll probably agree on is how well your instincts serve you. And I think that's one of the things I really remember from reading your your book Aww. is is like is the is is how instinctual your gut can be and how that can serve you just so far beyond any education. And the importance of asking questions and surrounding yourself with people that are better than you. Yeah. So. Those instincts are important and it's some it, it Sometimes they're easy to have and there's other times where yeah. like, I have instincts, but I need to write a whole book <laughs> or spend like a whole lifetime just understanding how to follow my instincts yeah. or trust them, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, such a such a funny thing, especially as someone who like wrote that in a book at some point yeah. because you think that when people give advice that they live it every day yeah, and it's totally. absolutely not the case. We'll get back to our chat with Rosie in just a minute, but first I want to tell you about Prudential. So listen, did you know that one third of Americans don't have a clear picture of their finances and retirement planning? The good news is it's never too late to get serious about saving for the future. And that's why we've partnered with Prudential to share tips to help you achieve financial wellness that you can start putting into action today. Looking for a good place to start? It's as easy as making time to check on your finances, i.e. set some goals and figure out your next steps for accomplishing them. No contribution is too small to get you on the right track. For helpful hints, check out prudential.com slash state of us. Now let's get back to our chat with Rosie Huntington-Whiteley. Rosie revealed what it's really like being a Victoria's Secret angel. At the time when I was, you know, working with Victoria's Secret and it was for about five years, it was just so fun. It was, you know, I was so young and it was 
you know, the biggest gig you could get as a model, really. And I was always a commercial model. So I was always doing a lot of catalog and commercial type of work. It was never really considered high fashion or editorial. And so as a commercial model to get Victoria's Secret was, it was the Holy Grail. And, you know, we, at the time, I think it was before the recession and the the budgets were there and the trips were incredible. And, you know, we'd be off running along a beach at, you know, five in the morning watching the sunrise. And that was my, my day of work. And it was just, it was great, a great fun environment and had a lot of fun with the girls and the team and uh, the shows were just, you know, a dream come true. And it was, it was, it was a great buzz. I feel really, really lucky that I got to experience that. Yeah. So why, so why move on from being a Victoria's Secret model? What, what made you make that choice? I think for me at the time, I saw an opportunity to build something for myself with my name on it and to be in the driver's seat of of a business and to, you know, work alongside people in a even sense, you know, shoulder to shoulder with the with the people that I'm working with instead of sort of being for hire. And that was what I wanted. It's I've always been so aware and it's always been so obvious to me that modeling is perhaps going to have a very short shelf life and I remember one of my first ever agents saying to me you know you better save your money because you'll be done by the time you're 27. I'm 31. It's definitely different from how it was when I was 25 but it's different in a good way Um, but there is a shelf life to to it unless you build out something for yourself and I think you know, somebody said to me recently, what's your piece of advice for young models? And I would just say, you know, there's a, there's a lot of advice I would give them, but I, I think the one thing that I feel has saved me and has always, I think, allowed me to sort of carve out something of my own is, is, is really like looking for opportunities where I could carve out something for myself. And I think a lot of that, and it's whether you're a public, you know, figure, a model, mm-hmm. or anyone who works in any company is just knowing your worth. Yeah. And when you know that the people who are paying you are getting more yeah. from you, that you could just go do that yourself yeah. is like a really... That's probably... Kind of- there was probably that. There was, you know, there was there was a few reasons, but that was ma- mainly the biggest... De- that was mainly the real decision and, and reason. And, you know, I just... I wanted to have something on, on my own. I wanted to diversify myself away from from you know working for a brand diversification guys yeah I wanted to work for my own brand rather than working for somebody else and I think as well like with as a a model you see a lot of people come and go very quickly flavor of the month then the you know then she puts on five pounds the door's closed you know she's going through a struggle with her thyroid and the door's shut on her immediately and she's kicked off the bus and and I just didn't want to be in that position. I wanted to 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 really have something of my of my own. So you know, when I'm wrinkly and old, and my boobs are even sagging than they are already, <laughs> I I can at least be working behind a desk and you know, working in that sense. Yeah. And yeah. and lingerie modeling, commercial mm-hmm. modeling, and lingerie was a big part of your career. Yeah. When you do have something like an endorsement, or especially your own line, it kind of prohibits you from because it's in some way competitive mm-hmm. with taking on other work with a client like yeah. that. Is that that's true, right? Yeah, that's a big decision to make. It's a big risk in your career to say I'm going to turn off all of the 
revenue, I guess you call it income, I've been making from this whole category that I've, you know, had for my entire mm-hmm. career and to move into another area. What what kind of compelled you to do that? So I think I'd been working for VS for about five years and there was a lot of changes that were happening within the within the business and I'd started working with Marks and Spencer as the face of their women's wear. And I have to tell you, it's been my dream probably since I was about 18 years old as a model to have my own lingerie line. That was always where I sort of thought I could really do that and I could do it well. And that makes sense with the background of my career. I was always, model- I was always you know, hired as a, I was always, before Victoria's Secret, I did a lot of lingerie shoots. And, and so it was, it really made sense to me. It was something, a category I really loved. I was passionate about. I loved the, I loved design. And so I was the face of, of Marks and Spencer women's wear and, and Marks and Spencer in the UK is one of, you know, the biggest fashion retailers and food and lingerie and home in the country. It's this, uh, you know, almost like this iconic, it is an iconic brand that I believe truly everybody in the UK has some type of relationship with, whether they're shopping there on a daily basis, getting their sandwich for lunch, whether they're going for at Christmas just to do their Christmas shopping. But everybody has a relationship to it and it's very emotional. Like if you're in the UK, people are very emotionally attached to it. And I did a bit of research and Marks and Spencer is the number one lingerie retailer in the UK. So they own a third of the market in lingerie within the UK. Um, and then after that, sort of brands then make up for it in 7%, 10%, 2%, 3%. So they have a third. But basically, the statistic sort of goes that one in three women are wearing a Marks and Spencer bra at any time in the UK, which is phenomenal. And so I thought, you know, maybe I could meet with the heads of M&S. This is, I'm, I'm always, uh, I'm quite ambitious, I would suppose, and probably a little bit ignorant at times. And that's kind of naive. Naive, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> they said yes. I took a meeting and I said, you know, this is what I'd like to do. Would you be open to a collaboration? And they said, yes, that sounds interesting. Let's start something really small. No guarantee it will work out. It could be, could just be a sort of one-time PR stunt. And But if it grows into something, then fantastic. And seven years later, we, we launched a 13-piece lingerie collection. And now we are lingerie, swimwear, sleepwear, fragrance, beauty. We've done activewear. I'm forgetting something, I think, loungewear. Yeah. So it's uh it's almost became a sort of mini Victoria's Secret within Marks and Spencer. It's not so many actually anymore, but it's uh it's it's sort of like the UK's version of that. And we really I think did a great job at branding this 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 whole the, the with the branding of the whole uh line and brand and and sort of filled a little niche in the market that that needed to be filled. So does it prohibit you from doing the same thing in the U.S.? Is it exclusive to the U.K.? It's exclusive worldwide. So that might answer some okay. questions of, I hope, where we Where can I buy it? How do I buy <laughs> it? Well, you can buy the lingerie online okay. and it ships worldwide. So that's really that's really cool. But um, so I think there's definitely a chance that it will, you know, it will be moving more globally in the next coming years. That's which exciting. Is ex- very exciting. So exciting. Yeah. 